So, title for today's message is, What's Up With Individualism? And I went back, and as I was preparing for my message, and I looked at my title, I thought, that has got to be the most boring sermon title ever. And I look back, and if you look back at my, my history of preaching at Central, I can go back on YouTube and see which sermon got the most hits, and it was one called Best Butts in the Bible. So sermon titles are really important, and I think I, I blew it with this one. Um, uh, but it's really, it, it's, it's an important topic because it has to do with how we relate to one another, um, how we interact with each other. Uh, it has to do with whether our faith is about me or if it is about us. Um, sociologists study the, the different ways that cultures differ from one another. It's interesting to see how cultures are different. One example would be a time orientation. I remember a time we had some people um, from Mexico who wanted to do a wedding here, and they had a very different orientation toward time. And it was about 3 o'clock, time for the wedding to start, and I looked around and I noticed something. I noticed that the bride was not here. So I asked someone, are we starting on time? And they said, yes. I said, where is the bride? They said, she is in Columbus. Um, so, there, so that's one area where cultures differ. Um, some are more relaxed about time. We're pretty uptight about time. Those are areas where people, where cultures differ. Another is individualism versus collectivism. And this is going to feel just a little bit like you're in a social studies class for a couple minutes. But let me give you a, a couple of definitions on, on what we're talking about. Individualism focuses on my goals and rights as an individual. What are, what are my rights? What is it that I want to accomplish? And you organize your life around, around that, what your rights are and what you would like to accomplish. If you're in a more collective uh, kind of culture, it focuses on the rights and the needs of our group rather than just as an individual. Let me give you an example of where I think I saw this in the Bible. There's a parable that Jesus tells that I've never understood, never made sense to me. And it's the parable about the guy who has a visitor come late at night. And he goes out to his neighbor in the middle of the night and knocks on the door and asks for food so that he can feed his guest. And in my individualistic mind, that makes no sense. Why is he being so rude? Why wasn't he more responsible? Why didn't he go out and shop for groceries earlier in the day? Why would, he, why would a neighbor get up and, and help him? But in a collective society, and mo most of the Bible stories were written in cultures that were more collective. That's why some of them may be a little hard for us to understand. But in a collective society, if a guest comes to town and the guest is not well received, that reflects negatively on the entire town. So that's one area where I think you see that difference uh, pop up in the scripture. Here are some characteristics of more individualistic cultures. Uh, in an individualistic culture, independence is highly valued. Individual rights take center stage. More emphasis is placed on standing out than conforming to the group. In other words, it's okay to draw attention to yourself by, by being unique, being different. People tend to be self-reliant. It's embarrassing in an individualistic culture to ask for help. 
the rights of individuals tend to take higher precedence than those of the family or the community. If you look at a collective culture, here's some of their traits. Individuals define themselves by the groups that they are in. My identity is not necessarily who I am, but what are the groups that define, what groups am I a part of? My identity is my family. My identity is my community. And I think that we as a culture, not only are, as America, a very individualistic country, I think we have become more so. And one area where I, I think that is reflected, if you look at the, the World War II generation, they came back from World War II, and they joined lots of groups. They had all these groups, the Eagles, the Elks, uh, Knights of Columbus, all of these different groups were formed. Everyone joined a group, and that group helped define what their identity is. And all of those groups are struggling now because we are very individualistic. We don't think of, of our groups as much. Uh, group loyalty is encouraged. Decisions are based on what is best for the group. Working as a group and supporting others is essential. Greater emphasis is placed on common goals than on in individual pursuits, and the rights of families and communities come before those of the individual. Another example that I thought of when I was thinking about this difference goes back to when Susie and I were first married. We lived in Chicago. I was going to grad school at Wheaton, and Susie worked for a company that built churches, and they had a Vietnamese architect who was a part of their company, and he lived in, lived in an apartment with about uh, maybe 15 members of his extended family, all lived in one apartment. And what they would do is they would all go out and get jobs. They, it, they, would save, they were very frugal. They would save all of their money. And when they had enough cash, they would buy a house for the oldest member of the family. And then they would continue to pool their money. They would continue to work hard. And then they would buy a house for the next member of the family. Most of us, as Americans, would never think of doing that. But, but in collective societies, that's very normal. You see that... Um, you see that even among uh, some of the, the minority groups that have come to Springfield. They are much more collective in the way that many of them operate. America is among the most individualistic cultures in the world, uh, and that affects how we do church together. So kind of where we're going in this message is this idea that if we live in a really individualistic culture, how does that shape how we view our responsibility as Christians? Does, could it, are, are, do we have blind spots that we need to be aware of? Uh, are there things that we need to do differently? Or are there areas where it would benefit us to be more collective, even though that might not really come natural for us? Uh, this, uh, so the question is, is, is individualism a good thing or a bad thing? And this is, people have debated this uh, for a long time. I found an article in Christianity Today from 2009 called The Heresy of Individualism. Uh, but it goes back even further than that. C.S. Lewis addressed this topic when he wrote Mere Christianity in 1952, uh, a best-selling book for many decades. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said about this. I feel a strong desire to tell you, and I expect that you feel a strong desire to tell me, which of these two errors, individualism or collectivism, is the worst. That is the devil getting at us. He always sends heirs into the world in pairs, pairs of opposites. And he always encourages us to spend a lot of time thinking about which one is worse. You see why, of course. 
He relies on your extra dislike of the one error to draw you gradually into the opposite one. And that certainly applies to this topic of individualism and collectivism. And I think there are opportunities for good and there are opportunities for harm in, in each of these two cultural orientations. We just need to be aware that in our culture, uh, individualism is kind of the air, kind of the air that we that we breathe. Um, the big idea for today's message suggests that we include the best aspects of both individualism and collectivism into our, our faith. Here's the big idea. Followers of Jesus are individually responsible to care about the needs of our group. Try, try to work both of them into one sentence there. So we have individual responsibilities, but, but our responsibilities are often to the, the group that we're, we're in. So I want to start by talking about um, some of the areas where we face individual responsibility. What we want to do are avoid extremes. At the extreme end of, of individualism, we can ignore our duties to the group. We become so self-centered and so self-focused, we forget that we have responsibilities to one another. At the extreme end of collectivism, we could shirk our responsibilities and just assume that others in the group will take care of everything and step back and not contribute very much. So we want to avoid the extremes. Here are some areas where I think there is an individual focus in the Scriptures. First is that we are saved individually. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it says, who, uh, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains upon him. These verses re reflect the fact that, that becoming a Christian is a decision that each one of us has to make. Our, our group can influence it, our group can encourage it, but our group can't make that decision for us. There's an individual uh, responsibility to respond to Christ. Um, Luke chapter 14 says, Large crowds were now traveling with Jesus, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever not, does not carry his cross and follow me uh, cannot be my disciple. There's a strong dose of individualism uh, kind of worked in that saying, uh, you have to make a decision and your group may not approve of it. And if your group doesn't approve of it, the decision to follow Christ has to be preeminent. If you have to choose between the two, choose Christ. Uh, and I think this is especially, I was thinking about this point, this is especially important for some of our older um, teenagers who are here. And as, as you go through life, you can, you can ride on the faith of your family for a long time. And your family will make decisions about where you're going to go to church, how often you go to church, what some of the values with, within your family are. But there comes a point where you have to make your faith your own. And it's your choice of whether you're going to embrace the gospel of Christ and become a follower of Jesus your family can't make that for you. So that's an important, uh, important point, especially for those who have grown up in Christian families 
and may not have thought very seriously yet about is this, is this going to be my faith? Am I going to commit to this? Secondly, we are individually gifted. God gives gifts to individuals. Uh, the gifts are in turn to be used for the benefit of the, the group. Romans 12, verses 6 to 8, we have different gifts according to the grace that God has given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is in giving, give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. 1 Peter 1, 4, 10 through 11 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms, if anyone speaks, he should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So in all things, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Each one of you has been given gifts. Whether you have identified them or not, whether you know exactly what they are or not, the Bible teaches that God gifts us and that your gifts are to be used for the benefit of others, particularly for the benefit of advancing the gospel. So I would encourage each of you to think, how has God gifted you and are you using that gift in a way that glorifies Christ? Are you using that gift in a way that advances what God is doing in the world. There are all kinds of gifts. Some of them are quiet gifts that, that occur behind the scenes. Some of you have the gift of leadership. Some of you have uh, the, the gift, uh, the gifts in the area of construction and building. You can help others in that way. But every one of you is gifted. Another point that we need to take seriously is that we will be judged individually. Uh, each one, there will come a time when each one of us will have to give an account of our lives and, and we can't hide behind the group that we're in. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear when the, uh, before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive that which is due for what he has done in his body, whether it is good or whether it is evil. This theme occurs over and over again in the Scriptures. In the book of Romans, Paul wrote, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. You kind of see individualism and collectivism in that verse. Each one of you are going to be judged, and one of the ways that you're going to be judged is to make sure you have not been putting stumbling blocks in front of your brothers. Uh, so you see both uh, an emphasis on individuals and, and groups there. Matthew 12, 36, this is Jesus talking. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account of every careless word uh, that they use. So we are, we, are, we are saved individually. We are gifted individually. One day we will be judged individually. Now I want to talk a little bit about what it means to be part of a group. And the first main point is that simply that we are members of a group. Uh, the term, there's a term in Scripture that's translated one another. And the term occurs 100 times in the New Testament. And 59 of those times, it occurs in the context of a command, an imperative. 
We are told to do something for one another. And by the way, I, there's a, I have a list of many of these verses, and it's on the, the guest center. So if you want to follow up and do your own study on some of the ways we have responsibilities to one another, there's a sheet that you can grab on your way out at that welcome desk that, that lists these. Um, <clears throat> so we, we are members of a group. Romans 12, 4 through 5 says, For each, just as each of us has one body and many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. That sounds very much like the passage that Heather read this morning uh, out, of a, of a different, in the, out of 1 Corinthians. Paul says basically the same things to the Romans, basically reminding them you are a part of a group. In uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I'm going to reread some of the verses that Heather wrote. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all of its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So we, we're part of a group. Scripture is very clear that we don't, we don't do this alone. Uh, we, are, we are one, one limb that's part of a broader body. What are some of our other responsibilities? The next point is we shouldn't harm members of our group. So one of our group responsibilities, one of our collective responsibilities, is we need to make sure that we are not hurting each other, make sure that we're not harming one another. Galatians 5.15 says, if you bite and devour one another, this is one of those one another passages, if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be destroyed by one another. But we, we can't be a group that bites and devours each other. And, and I love the spirit that exists in this church and the way that you all support one another. Uh, because I, if, if, if this kind of thing happens here, I certainly don't see it. I see a body of people who are very good to one another and are kind to one another, and I haven't observed this kind of behavior. But it can become a part of church culture. Some of you may have been at churches where it was very natural and accepted to attack each other. Just was kind of became part of the culture is picking each other apart and tearing each other down, and that's a horrible, horrible thing. James 4.11 says, Brothers and sisters, don't slander one another. Later in the book of James, he writes, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. Grumbling is just that, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, just kind of just tearing people down, complaining about things, uh, complaining about things you don't like, uh, complaining about a particular person. Uh, James says, don't do that um, because you're going to be judged. And then he closes the verse by saying the judge is standing at the door. So don't do that. <clears throat> It's not enough that we just not harm one another. The scriptures go beyond that in some very positive directions. Third point is that we should provide for members of our group. We have a duty to provide for one another. <clears throat> Acts 2.44 says, And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. This is such a, this is such a common theme through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4, verse 32, 32 through 35, it comes up again. Uh, listen to what church was like. Listen to what the early church was like 
uh, in the very first generation of Christians. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had a need. Isn't that amazing? Um, we have had people do that here at Central. One, one way that people have done that is uh, we've had people who, when they died, they left gifts and they designated for benevolence. They left an amount of money and said, put this money in a pool and use it to care for people who have needs. So people have done that, and we have been blessed as a church by people who have, who have thought that way. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8, verses 12 and 14, Our desire is not that others may be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, <clears throat> so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered too much did not have too much, and the one who gathered too little did not have too little. So, so, so a degree of equality within a group is a collective value. We have, we have a duty to make sure that no one in our group goes without. And we certainly have that duty at Central at a couple of levels. And I think the most immediate level is looking around our own congregation and making sure that if someone has a need that the rest of us can contribute to and help them with, we need to do that. And we have done that. Many of you gave generously. We were raising some money for a family that uh, were facing legal expenses related to a threatened deportation. And they are still in the middle of that. And they're still working with their lawyers on that. And you pitched in and helped with that. That's an example of you living this value out and that was, that was a beautiful thing. <clears throat> Next principle is that we have a duty to carry one another's burdens. Uh, Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This isn't so much about uh, paying for something for someone. This is about, uh, I think it has more to do with, with, with bearing the emotional burdens that we carry. And when someone in the body of Christ is going through a difficult time, all of us have a responsibility to bear that burden with them and to draw alongside them and, and to help them. And I've seen this happen in churches in all kinds of, of beautiful, beautiful ways. Us. <clears throat> Fifth principle is we have a duty to serve those who are in our group. Galatians 6, 9 through 10 says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us, listen to this, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. That's a strong expression of collectivism. Uh, if you have the ability to do good, make sure that you're doing it especially for those who are, who are within the body of Christ with you. If you're brothers and sisters in Christ, 
have a need and you're not supporting them and serving them, there is something wrong with that. I picked a, a few points to, to comment on. Again, there were 59 imperatives. and I didn't think any of you wanted a 59-point uh, sermon. There are other duties. It talks about being devoted to one another, forgiving one another, building up one another, showing hospitality to one another, confessing our faults to one another, uh, and, and many, many more. But I want to close with one. And the one that I want to close with is, I think, the most important. And one way that I know that it's the most important is because this particular imperative is mentioned 16 times in the New Testament. We have a duty to love the members of our group. Christ himself said, a new command I give you. Love each other. By this, uh, uh, as I have, a new command I give you, love each other. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the mark that sets us apart, not just as people who, who believe in Jesus, but as people who have become apprentices of Jesus, people who are disciples of Jesus, actively working to make sure that they are following Jesus. And the way that you know that someone is an apprentice of Jesus Christ is the degree to which they love their brothers and sisters who are around them. And let me say a prayer that God will help us to be a loving congregation and, and that he will open our eyes to ways that we can love effectively even this week. Father, we thank you <clears throat> for this challenge to remember our responsibilities to the group that we are in. Lord, it's not just about us as individuals, but we are a part of a family. We are part of a body where when one member hurts, all members hurt. Where when one is blessed, all share in the blessing. Father, I pray that you would make that true of this family. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes this week. Help us to see opportunities to express our love to one another. We ask this in Christ's name. Thank you.